Back in 2018, Ishmael Chamu and his family rolled up to a cute, pale yellow house in a peaceful suburb of Berkeley, California. There were six of them, mom, dad, and four kids, including Ishmael. They jumped out, grabbed their few bags, and walked into their new home. Ishmael couldn't believe it. He ran up the stairs to his bedroom, looked out the window, and saw neighbors walking past green trees and flowers. He dreamed about this his whole life, about his family living in a house, and especially with everyone having their own bedroom. But later that night, no one actually slept in their rooms. And so I remember in the living room, we put down like little cushions on the floor, and that's where we lay down. And the reason why is this, that my family, we felt like I'm only here for a night, so I'm just going to lay down on the living room floor, and then I'm ready to leave tomorrow. But Ishmael and his family weren't leaving tomorrow or the day after that. Still, the family lay huddled, holding tightly onto each other. But it wasn't cold. It wasn't like anything like that. But I felt so strange. It felt like a moment of silence in between chaos. Until that night, Ishmael had spent his whole life homeless. He didn't know what it meant to live in a house. And um, it was a very strange feeling to feel. Safe and warm. Safe and warm, finally, but mysteriously too safe and too warm. My body, my mind don't know how to respond to that. How do you, how do you respond to safety, finally, for once? This is Homemade, an original podcast by Rocket Mortgage about the meaning of homes and what we can learn about ourselves in them. I'm Stephanie Fu. How would you define the word home? The word home, I would define that as a place you feel safe and warm. How would you describe you and your family's housing situation when you were growing up? Chaotic. I would say there's never a home. Ishmael says he was homeless before he was even born. His parents each came to America from Mexico as teenagers without their families. His father was a migrant worker, one of 15 million in America. He spoke little English and took whatever work he could find. In apple orchards, tree farms, on construction sites. He often earned only $5 an hour. Eventually, Ishmael's parents married and had four kids. They lived in one temporary space after another often camped out in a single living room with three other families, each separated by a flimsy curtain. What little they made was spent on rent and food. Ishmael remembers one Christmas when the family was living in their van. His younger siblings were excited about Christmas, but his father hadn't been paid yet. We were able to put together $12, and for Christmas we had Mac chickens for McDonald's, and we had French fries. And so each of these Christmases, food was always absent. It was always just us and us in very desperate, sad situations. It's just heavy hard to think about, like, that was my Christmases. Ishmael also remembers moving constantly, usually without warning. The first time he was sitting in class playing with his friends, when a teacher walked in and told him he was leaving. A few minutes later, he was in a car headed across the country. I felt like very surprised, very in awe, like almost like no reaction, no emotional reaction. You're just like... You're just shock. You're just in shock, right? You're just like, oh, okay. Like, I don't don't know what... What do you do? How are you supposed to feel this way? Ishmael attended five different elementary schools, three middle schools, and five high schools in California and the Carolinas. And with each move, he became more hardened, more used to this lifestyle. He learned to cope 
He told classmates his father was in the army, and that's why they moved a lot. He was careful not to make close friends, to avoid getting sad when he moved again. Ishmael lived in RVs, random garages, and sometimes cars. But it was those shared living rooms that were the worst. There were often drunk men living behind those curtains, which was scary to Ishmael. Scared of what? I didn't know at that time. But now, if I can put words to it, I was afraid of the potential sexual violence Mm -hmm. against my sisters or against my mom. I was afraid of someone intoxicated doing physical violence against us or against myself. And this is me as a second grader. Couldn't put it into words, but I could feel it. I could sense it. That sounds pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. But that's the role I was playing of just trying to be protective and trying to be the the adult. You're the third parent. You had to grow up really fast. The third parent. Absolutely. This was Ishmael's routine for much of high school in Hayward, California. Get up at 4 a.m., load weed whackers, rakes, and mowers into a van, do lawn work with his brother and father in the early morning light, then rush to school for 6.30 a.m. AP bio, mow lawns again after school. In the evening, go to Starbucks to study because that's where he could get internet. Sleep at 1 a.m., then wake up at 4 a.m. to mow lawns again. He assumed that life would always be like this, but at school, a counselor named Miss Ruiz helped him think otherwise. She dared him to dream. And what was the big dream back then? You know, this is really funny that you mentioned this because there's um, this is a really cool rapper. His name is Kemba. And in one of his songs called Captain Planet, he says that each time someone asks other kids, what are your dreams? Kids describe a sports car, a luxury house. But when we ask people who are poor, what's your dream? You describe things like running water, a pillow, and corn pops without roaches in it, which is essentially a cereal without cockroaches in it. That resonates with me so much. And so to answer your question, for me, my dream at that moment was to have a pillow, to have a restroom that worked. Because I remember visiting my counselor's house and I went to use her restroom and I could flush the toilet. I could just turn on the faucet and it's hot water. What, what the hell is that, right? But Miss Ruiz told him to dream bigger. She told him something no one had ever said to him. You could go to college. Because despite his brutally demanding life, Ishmael had a 4.0 GPA. A lot of my just doing great in different academic courses and all these things was because those are the few moments where I could hyper-focus on things because everything else is chaotic. Mm. If all you know is chaos or pain and history class, for example, for me, I loved history, was the only outlet of just being able to not feel pain or sadness. I could like escape everything from my life and just hyper-focus on that. And just learn about that. Right. So Miss Ruiz helped Ishmael apply to colleges. At first, he felt guilty about it. Him leaving would mean less money for his family. But then in senior year, Ishmael's friends started talking about going to this college, going to that college. And he decided he didn't want to mow lawns for the rest of his life. I started getting a feeling of me of like, why not me? Why should I continue being the same way that I am? And so college became like the place where I was like, you know what? I think I can get out of here. And because Ishmael was an excellent student, he got in everywhere. Competitive schools like UC Davis, Irvine, Santa Cruz, and Berkeley. Ishmael, a homeless kid who was only allowed to sleep three hours a night, got into one of the best colleges in the world. That is when I started processing like, oh, shoot, I actually did something, right? I did something big. 
Berkeley was just half an hour from where his family was living. And so Ishmael started in the fall of 2014. His dad dropped him off with two trash bags full of all his belongings. And he walked through campus to his dorm. Big buildings, classical Roman Greek architecture. And here I am, like, all I've known was the Starbucks down the street, my RV, this dirt road. And so I was terrified. I was really scared. But to me, it was really, really exciting. I'm like, wow, there's a bed here. It's warm. I can actually stand in my shower and turn this on. That's crazy. I felt like the first moment you enter into a really nice hotel and you're like, wow, look at this, look at that. Ishmael's roommate was already in his room when he arrived. Michelle, a rich kid from Boston whose dad was a lawyer. Ishmael says the first things he noticed were Michelle's clean white duvet, soft pillows, and towels. Everything he didn't have. And he remembers feeling uncomfortable, embarrassed of where he'd come from. But Michelle was cool, and so were some of the other kids in his dorm. They helped him register for classes, something he didn't know he needed to do before he got there. And one of his new friends gave him a pillow. Ishmael had never had a pillow before. He'd only slept on rolled-up towels. So at first, he tried to refuse it. And my friend was like, no, take this pillow. And so I took the pillow. And later on in the evening, I wrapped my pillow with the towels, and I finally laid my head on it. And to feel... Such softness. I think I think people underestimate the first sensation of, of laying your head on a pillow. I don't think people even remember that. But for me, actually finally feeling that was insane. I was like, wow, this is so comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I had a towel wrapped around it, but it was great. It was awesome. Over the next several months, campus started to feel more comfortable. But Ishmael says he felt guilty on a constant basis thinking about his family. Any extra money he got from scholarships and student loans he sent to his parents. In class, he studied economics, slowly made friends, and got by working odd jobs. But at Berkeley, dorms are for freshman year only. The next fall, Ishmael had to find somewhere else to live. He didn't get into student co-op housing. So when sophomore year started, Ishmael was a student at one of America's top schools. But he was also homeless. Again. He bounced around. Couch surfing, crashing in abandoned warehouses, spending the odd night in a library. Ishmael also bounced around majors and wound up in sociology, where he learned about some of the reasons behind his family's homelessness, their poverty. He called it an awakening. I knew there's people who would screw my dad over and not pay my dad. I also knew that whenever we go mow lawns and do landscaping work, it would be at people who had really nice houses in these suburbs. And why was I not living in the suburb? I, I was familiar with these things. I just I didn't understand the words or the principles or the theories connecting all of this. Once I was able to connect those two things, I was finally like, oh, this makes sense. I shouldn't be embarrassed about my dad or about my story. It's not something to be ashamed of for being poor. Ishmael finally felt empowered. He started advocating for affordable housing and he realized he wasn't the only homeless student. A recent survey found that 5% of all University of California students were experiencing some form of housing insecurity. And Ishmael says he met many people, even a couple of instructors at UC Berkeley, who were living in cars and abandoned buildings. By 2018, Ishmael's senior year, he and his siblings were living in an old RV on some guy's front yard. And then the town of Hayward outlawed residential trailers, and the RV owner evicted them with little notice. Yet another abrupt move for Ishmael, but this time, something different happened. 
A while before, Ishmael and other activists had been protesting the rising cost of student housing in Sacramento. During the protest, he met a journalist from the LA Times. They stayed in touch, and when Ishmael lost the rental, he called the journalist, who wrote a story about him. A lot of people read that story. And when Ishmael's friend started a GoFundMe for him, it went viral. Within 15 minutes of starting the campaign, there was $5,000 in the account. Ishmael called his friend. I'm like, hey, like, that's a lot of money. I think we're good now. And he's like, no, are you kidding? Like, I literally just set it up. No, we're going to keep it there. He's like, we're going to try to get more than 100000 And I'm like, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? No, that's, that's insane. In the Latino community, you don't ask for help. You don't get donations. That is a character defect if someone helps you or gives you something. They're like, no, no, like, tell people to take the money back. And I told my mom and dad, no, this is good. We're going to use this money to help us, like, find a place to live. More money poured in. $500, $2,000. One person threw in $20,000. And eventually, the campaign reached $100,000. That was just insane. I, I just felt, like, my skin reacting, like, just, like, little prickly... Goosebumps. Goosebumps and everything. Yeah, and so like that was one of the things where I realized that there are kind people out here in the world. Ishmael's parents were still freaked out, but they came around when Ishmael suggested they buy a new car, which they really wanted. And then one of the GoFundMe donors offered to rent them her late father's house at an affordable price, a furnished yellow house in Poets Corner, a middle-class suburb of Berkeley. This was the end of the Shamu family's homelessness. The money guaranteed them rent, necessities, and even some leftover for Ishmael's siblings' college costs. It was a chance to put down real roots, build a life. But the transition to housing was much more difficult than Ishmael expected. Months after they moved in, there were still no photos on the wall, no tchotchkes on shelves. They didn't even have trash cans for the kitchen. The home that Ishmael's family rented had four bedrooms, more than enough room for everyone to spread out. But instead, they slept together on the living room floor. Not just for the first and second night, for weeks. We're all like sleeping very close together. And then my sister's like, I'm going to use the restroom. And then my mom's like, oh, I'm coming with you. And this is inside our house, right? That's something you would do, I don't know, like at the movie theater. Like, I'll come with you, right? But in our house, we were now following one another to the restroom because even though we were safe, even though this home was warm, we still didn't know how to respond to that. All of the years of fear associated with his homelessness had given Ishmael PTSD. So can you tell me just kind of like, how did it feel in your body mm-hmm. when you were feeling that fear? It's almost always as if you're almost always out of breath mm. and always feel very unsure, very on, almost like when you wake up from a nightmare, but that is your life on a consistent basis. Mm very anxious. And so I started noticing that when I consumed alcohol, that would go away. I would relax. I would calm down. I wouldn't be paranoid anymore. I could finally like look at items around my house and be like, whoa, look at this. Like I could lay down on my couch and really feel the cushion on my couch and really feel it when I was like intoxicated. I could really just like... It was the only time that you could feel present. Exactly. And that was something I wouldn't be feeling when I was sober because I would constantly be on edge about everything. 
When you're in active danger, your brain doesn't always have the resources to feel anxious, sad, or angry about the things you're going through. You just have to concentrate on surviving. So sometimes it's when you're safe, when you have the privilege of time and space to think about things, that the grief and fear really hits. So even though Ishmael graduated from Berkeley, scored a great contract job at Facebook, and was otherwise totally stable in his life, his trauma was hitting harder than ever. His brain and body couldn't believe that he was finally safe. So he was anxious, and his drinking increased. I remember one of my best friends, some of my best friends this day, he pulled me aside. I remember it was like a happy hour event, and then I had like, I got really drunk that night, and then he says, hey Ish, like, I've noticed that you've been getting really drunk a lot when we hang out as a group. Is everything okay? That was the first time when I started realizing that I have this really good job, but I could mess up. And that could potentially jeopardize my family's well-being because I'm taking care of my family right now. I'm paying the rent. I'm doing the bills. That was very difficult for me to finally, like, thinking to myself, no, I need to find help. Ishmael started therapy during the pandemic on the phone, and his therapist started teaching him about PTSD and how it causes lingering fear. What was it that you learned from therapy that helped you deal with that fear? I started seeing myself not as a bad person, but as someone who still has some learning to do and also learning how to feel sad, how to feel happy. And there's nothing wrong with being honest with those things. And that's something I never knew growing up. It was wrong to tell my parents that I was sad for some reason. Why are you sad? And I'd be like, I don't know. My mom's like, oh, my dad would be like, there's nothing for you to be sad about. But now I can actually be like, I feel sad and not be scared about saying those things. When you say that she helped you feel like you weren't a bad person, you mean specifically like that you weren't a bad person for feeling anxious or sad? Yes, I wasn't also a bad person for having used alcohol to feel those feelings. Mm. Also that whenever I do lie, it wasn't because of ill intention. It was because I'm protecting myself. Yeah, I'm trying to protect myself from further abuse. Therapy helped. So did volunteering at the Women's Building in San Francisco which offers a bunch of services to the homeless. Ishmael prepared tax returns for people, but he wasn't just helping them get back money. He was buying them time. Like, I wish, for example, when I was being evicted, that I had an extra month, that I had an extra week, that I had an extra day to prepare for it, to think about it, to find somewhere else to go to. I had this, uh, this one client who, she came in, single mother, and she was very desperate because she was behind on rent. And I was able to get her $2,500 in a tax refund. Her eyes were like tearing up and she said, thank you so much, mijo. Like I can pay rent for my next two months. You don't understand how worried I was that I didn't have enough money for my children. And so that was very touching. Sometimes when we start to change, we don't see it right away. It can take someone else pointing it out or it can happen when we're helping someone else go through something similar. So essentially, something that's really helped me out was that um, I realized now that I'm on the other side of the table. I'm no longer the one, quote unquote, receiving aid or help out of desperation, but I'm the one providing it. And so it helps me keep in check mentally that there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. Ishmael continued to work on himself. He says drinking stopped being a problem. He started cycling and exercise helped with the PTSD. He volunteered when he could and jobs kept coming in. After Facebook, he started working for Google. All of this self-care, this recovery, was necessary for Ishmael to feel at home in that house. But he wasn't the only one who needed to feel at home. So Ishmael realized it was up to him to break the ice. 
As a young kid, he used to dream about going to Walmart and bringing home a goldfish in a fish tank. It was something he thought any kid in a stable home would do. So, Ishmael went to a pet store and bought a betta fish. Bright purple, pink, and blue, like a starry night sky. And he called it Nebula. He also bought a 10-gallon fish tank. I remember my mom and my dad telling me, like, oh, why are you getting that? It's going to be hard to move it when we move. And I'm like, we're not going anywhere. We're going to stay here, and I'm going to make this my space. Soon after, his siblings and parents started taking steps of their own. His mother bought one of those heavy, old-timey sewing machines and created a sewing corner in the living room. His dad planted little cacti around the house and an apple tree outside. He's also taking English lessons so he can apply for better jobs. Both of Ishmael's parents are in therapy, and he says they are doing so much better. Then my mom has a bunch of plants on, um, on the window where she has her spices and her little cups. His brother and sister started decorating their rooms. And more importantly, all three are going to college. Ishmael's youngest sister, Jocelyn, followed him to Berkeley on a scholarship to study molecular biology. We're here in my living room. So I have one, two, three, four fish tanks with plants growing out of them. And uh, just a lot of fish, little aquatic life going on. Ishmael now has 13 fish tanks scattered around the house, six pillows on his bed, and he's covered his bedroom walls in art. I think something that uh, really helps me feel safe here is um, the corner of my room by my fish tank and my working station, essentially because I have lots of little things, like, for example, these seashells I got in New Orleans, different earrings, little books I've collected throughout time, even things that I've had when I was homeless. The past is no longer something that's to be scared of or afraid of, considered bad, but rather it's a mosaic of different things have come together to create this bigger painting. Like every time I look at my walk and see different moments, I can see a prayer my mom wrote. I can see uh, a painting that someone painted before me. I can see a love letter from a former lover. I can see different things have come together to create what it is now, which is my mosaic, my life now. And I don't want it to be any different. It means that I am safe, I am warm, and I am not alone. I have my family, I have my friends. I have people around me who love me, people that I love. You've been listening to Home Made by Rocket Mortgage. My name is Stephanie Fu. You can reach us at rocketmortgage.com slash homemade. Thanks for listening. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030.